0: A wise man builds his life on Jesus' instructions, like a house built on a solid foundation. By tuning in today, you are pouring into your life. This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Thank you for coming in this morning. Uh, for those of you who are watching online, thank you so much for joining us, wherever that might be. Uh, I pray you had a, cho- a chance to log in, say hi to the hosts, and if you would, just let us know where you're viewing from. And we're glad that you're, you're safe in your home. Uh, we're going to gather here and dive into uh, a new parenting series starting today. So you want to take out your Bible, you want to take out your notes, and let's jump into this together. Uh, Fifteen years ago, In a hospital far, far away, Elisa and I sat in our required pre-birth parenting class. All parents, you know, soon-to-be parents, first-time parents get that basic lay-of-the-land classroom. This is where the hospital is and this is where the birthing rooms are and you get a tour and you get a walkthrough and you have to watch certain videos and, and you meet certain people that are going to key to you, be key to you in this whole birthing process. And this, before it all started, there was this icebreaker moment where we welcome are welcomed into the group. Here's here's a bunch of moms who are about to have babies in this given month, and so we all gather together. And I'm already squirmish, okay? As you can imagine, first time dad, first time mom, uh, first baby on the way, maybe just a few months away, and. Whenever I get stressed, I have a habit of dealing things with humor in very inappropriate ways. And, <laughs> and I take a lot of notes and I do a lot of studying because that's what I do. I, I, we're going to have a baby, so I'm going to read books on having babies. And I'm going I'm to take notes on how, to, how, how, they, how they have babies and uh, watch videos on, in real time of, of babies being born. Uh, that's, that's not a good idea. There's, there's a major disconnect in Hollywood when babies are born in movies versus when babies are actually born in real life. Uh, Hollywood birthing situations, there's often beautiful lighting and there's lots of beautiful music that's often playing and there's this beautiful dialogue that seems to happen between the, the mother giving birth and like, we can do this baby! And, 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 and then the, the dad-to-be who's encouraging and wrapping his arms around her, we can do this, sweetheart, we can do this, and the doctors are singing and the nurses are coming in. It's this beautiful, magical experience. Oh, Cordelia, you okay? Yeah, yeah, she's fine. She's fine. Baby fell down. When, when real babies are born, that's more like, you know, exorcism videos that I watched on, uh, in college. <laughs> So there's this huge disconnect, but I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a good dad, and so I'm watching all the videos, and I'm taking lots of notes, and I'm in this pre-birthing class. And so the instructor comes in, and they say, all right, we're going to go around the room, and we want all the moms to introduce themselves, and, and then we're going to introduce coaches. So introduce the coaches. And I'm ecstatic. This is awesome. We're not just going to give up. We're going to get a coach. This is cool. We're going to get a coach because uh, I want a coach I need a coach we need a coach for this birth and so mom number one says, hey my name so and so this is my coach and so and so this is my coach I'm excited anyway, I don't see our coach hasn't walked in yet so maybe the coach is a little bit late but that's okay we're going to get a coach for the for the birth for the first birth because I need a coach because I have no idea what's going on and then next mom hey this is and this is coach and this speaks at Elise speaks, hey my name is Elise and this is Paul my husband he's my coach No one told me I was gonna be a coach. I'm not ready to be a coach. I know what coaches are supposed to do. Coaches know what's going on. Coaches know the lay of the land when when something is happening. Coaches coaches know the ins and the outs of the game and now all of a sudden I'm the coach in this moment when my my wife is gonna have a baby. Maybe that's why I've always been reticent with teaching on parenting. Because let's be honest, you don't feel like you're a coach who wins Super Bowls, do you? You you don't feel like a coach who knows how to bring home the the winning game. You don't know how to say, hey, we're going to do this. And so for me, and, and a general apology to all those who've ever walked with me in ministry and alongside of me with ministry, I've taught the whole gambit of what it means to follow God, but I've always been very leery of teaching parenting because I'm like, man, in all honesty, I have no idea what's going on. I'm still figuring it out myself. You feel like a rookie every single morning, right? Must be honest. It doesn't matter how old you are, how, how old your children are. You could be 70 and they could be 50. It could be new every single morning. What it means to parent and be a parent for your child in that place. Sometimes you're not even awake when the game starts. In walks a kid, daddy, I don't feel well. Go throw up. And you're still rubbing the sleep out of your eye. Daddy, I don't feel well. And then they just throw up all over you. And you're not even asleep yet. You're not even awake yet. And so some apologies. I'm still figuring it out as I go. But in the same way, um, we teach about salvation, and we teach about sanctification, and we teach about things to come, and we teach about things that maybe we haven't exactly figured out ourselves. We're going to jump into parenting. So whether or not I act like a, a blind outfielder in a baseball game trying to catch the winning pop fly after playing dizzy bat, we're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do this together. Okay. <laughs> we're going to do this together. So parents, we want our kids to win. We want our kids to be set off on a trajectory of victory. And so how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to look at the words of a wise person in scripture and see how we can raise up not just one generation, but actually the generation of our grandkids and the generation of our great-grandkids to come. How we can help them succeed too. And can you imagine? Because according to this person that we're going to look at, it's quite, you're quite capable of doing that. Not just helping your kids rise up, but helping your grandkids raise up. And helping your great-grandkids raise up. And their kids too. We're going to look at a poem, a wisdom song, written by one of King David's songwriters named Asaph. Okay, David is trying to get the nation to come back together after all the division uh, behind King Saul. Uh, everyone's not quite sure what's going on. There's a lot of uncertainty. Our hearts aren't quite bo- bent towards following Jesus. There's not a lot of heartfelt obedience. And so Asaph makes a contribution he, he writes a song that's to be sung when you come before God in the tabernacle. And it, it's a wisdom song. It's a wisdom poem, meaning it's a guide for life. And this is Psalm 78. So if you would take out your Bibles, if you're watching online, take out your Bibles. Uh, if you're looking at Bibles here, find Psalm 78. There's Bibles underneath your seats. And as you're first dialing in, you're like, holy cow, this is like over 70 verses long. We're going to drill down in the first eight verses. Okay? And now I'm going to make observations from the, the rest of the psalm together. Psalm 78, though, verses 1 through 8. Uh, follow along on the screen, follow along in your Bible. Give ear, O my people, to my teachings, and incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open up my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them and children yet unborn and raised to tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. That they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. His solution, this poem's poet's solution, for all the unrest and for the hope of the future, is that you know what your kids need. You know what our grandkids need. You know what our great-grandkids and their kids need. You know what they need. They need you to tell them a story. That's what he says. He says in Psalm 78, verse 2, he says, I will open my mouth, and I'm going to tell you a parable. I'm going to tell you a story. A story. What you need is a story, a parable, uh, the deeds of the Lord, His testimony. Let me tell you the things that God has done. That's what the generations to come need to hear. They need you to tell them a story. Paul, are you kidding me? My family's jacked up, man. My marriage is a hot mess. Things at work are crazy. Paul, are you kidding me? Story time? That's your answer. I mean, I'm on my last, I'm on my last nerve right now. I don't know how to pull this together. I mean, I've gone to conferences and Paul, I've ordered books and I've watched DVDs and I've watched everything on YouTube on parenting and I really need the key right now. And Paul, you're telling me that the answer that I need right now is story time. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. According to this poet, he says, the key is I'm going to tell you a story And it's not just for your kids. This is the key for the generation to come, the generation to come, and their kids too. Modern psychology is just coming to understand and catch up with what God has been saying for years and what prophets have practiced for thousands of years. That we are built for stories. We are designed to tune into stories. Like a radio station that's pre-programmed in your car. You push that button and that car is immediately connected on that wavelength to what's coming in. Our minds are hardwired that when we start to hear a story, we're like, story? I, I like a story. Tell me, tell me a story. And so I just, I just happened to jump on psychology today. They said five ideas on why stories. Why involve stories. And you're going to find it really interesting, the alignment. But one of the things they said was this. Stories connect us to something bigger than ourselves. Stories connect us to something bigger than ourselves. Maybe that's why in verse 7 of this section, he said that the coming might set their hope in God. I'm going to tell you a story that you learn to, and your kids learn to, and your grandkids learn to set their hope in God. In God, because stories connect us back to something bigger than ourselves. The psychologist also said that stories connect us to others their pain, others' journey, others' success. Maybe that's why in verse three he said that we're, I'm going to unfold things that our fathers have told us, that we not be like the fathers before that, stubborn and unfaithful. When we tell a story, we bond with one another and we connect with one another. They went on to say uh, in this article, stories are actually how our brain works. We find patterns and, and we associate meaning out of stories. It's the chief operating system for the way your brain operates. If you didn't know this, your brain has a left side and your brain has a right side, okay? I did that backwards with my hands left side and a right side. It makes sense to you. One side, the left side, it's all, about, it's all about facts and logic and processing. The right side, all about imagination and creativity and finding association and finding meaning. And what scientists have uncovered is they believe that it's the right side that's supposed to govern and take the lead over everything else. It's the side that's designed to find meaning and the creative side and the imagination side that's supposed to drive the train as far as thinking goes. Our story is supposed to lead the way in how we process. The left, it's all, all right, this is what's going on. This is the facts, one, two, three, four. Cool. The right brain says, hey, this is what that means. This is the value of that. So, maybe part of our failing culture is that we think the key is knowing facts and putting things in order of what's going on. When God is hardwired us to understand the whys and the hows and finding the overarching purpose of things, He has hardwired our brains to live inside of story. That's what memory experts say. If you want to remember something, if you want to remember a sequence, if you want to remember numbers or, or, or words or ideas, they say, put it inside of a story that you've created. And your brain grabs a hold of it. A psychologist also said, stories give order to chaos. How many of you encounter chaos? Some of you got chaos. If you're online, I want you to raise your hand. You got chaos. Yeah, stories give order to the chaos. In verse 2, he says, I'm going to tell you dark things, meaning hidden things. He says, as you look at the past and it's all jumbled up and you can't understand what's happened yesterday and you can't understand what's happened last week, you can't understand what happened last month, you can't understand what's happened over the last decade, He says, I'm going to give you a way to understand what's going on. I'm going to help you find order in the chaos. And finally they say, we're just plainly wired for stories. They immerse us in events that we have not lived and they immerse us in such a way that it becomes our story. So your pain becomes my pain and I feel it. Your joy becomes my joy and I feel it. Your lessons become my lessons if I'll learn it. So should we be surprised that God commanded 3,000 years ago? So he says in verse 5, I'm commanding you to do this. I'm commanding you to tell my story. And Asaph, the poet, proclaimed it. Tell children my story. God, the Bible, and even today's experts are telling us, lives are changed by storytelling. Who here has been changed by a story? Yeah, who has been changed by a story? Okay, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been changed by a story, right? Someone at some point sat down with you and says, hey, can I tell you a story? God came down and, and he lived among us and, and he lived and he did this and he did this and then he went and he did this and he died on a cross and he rose that you might find freedom and life in him. If you're a follower of Jesus, your life has been changed by a story. How many of you have been changed by other stories? You're like yeah, I heard this story. I read the story. I watched this story. Gosh, for me, one of them is always Green Mile. the The movie, the book, Green Mile. Okay, Stephen King is awesome. This big guy named John Coffey. Have you ever seen the movie? It's awesome. I'm so tired, boss. I'm so tired. This this guy who's he's 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 he's, comi- he's he's convicted and he's on death row and he's not supposed to be on death row because he's innocent. But he has this ability to take other people's brokenness. Okay, John Coffey, J.C., the J.C. hero in the story is able to take people's brokenness upon himself. He's an innocent man convicted of doing something he didn't do, and he's able to take other people's brokenness. You following, you connecting the dots? Okay, you able to do that? I tell you what, every single time I watch this movie and there's certain scenes, I just, I ball my eyes out. I ball my eyes out. Why? Because I'm, I'm connecting with the story, and the story's changing me. It's changing how I think. It's changing how I process. It's changing how I feel. I remember at one point, this is back when Christopher Reeves was still Superman, and I was watching Superman, and all of a sudden, you know, who do you want to be when you watch Superman? Like, you want to be Superman, right? So I'm six years old, and my mom makes me a cape. I'm like, yeah, you know it. And so I'm flying all over the house. I'm jumping up on tables. I'm jumping up on roofs. I punched my dad right in the stomach. Superman got sent to his room that day. (laughs) And he wasn't allowed to fly for a while (laughs) because his butt hurt. (laughs) The story changed me i was sitting at the piano in our house and we got some some music in and, and it's just popular piano music. And I just love to just sit and play and sing and there's no one else in the room. And I just, I'm belting it out. I'm belting it out. And uh, one of the songs was a song from a musical called *Man of La Mancha*, called *The Impossible Dream*. It's This big ballad, right? And it's, you know, I'm gonna finish my quest and I'm belting and I'm singing and tears are rolling down my eyes and I walk out of the room and the boys are like, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" Like, yeah, it's good, man. It's good. Because the story changes me. Last night, the boys were watching The Count of Monte Cristo. It's a great story about uh, someone who's dealing with forgiveness and someone who's dealing with rage and anger and hate. If lives are changed by stories, that means, parents, let's write this down together in your notes, if you're following along online. Brighter futures require telling and living better stories. If brighter futures are what we want for our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids, that requires telling and living Better stories. The rest of Psalm 78 retells Israel's story with God challenges that they had in Egypt and and the exodus it talks about hardships in the desert and walking to the promised land it it references chapters of idolatry and rebellion and the consequences of not being obedient and I'm going to just grab some highlights from the story that help us as parents kind of and those of us who are spiritual guides Just take our cues. So what makes it for a better story? If what we need is a better story, then then how do we do that? What needs to be retold? So in your notes, a couple things to write down. A better story shows us first that God rescues us from all evil. A better story shows us that God rescues us from all evil. As you write that down, let me just read you from the story. Just listen. I'm specifically going to reference verse 12 and through verse 16. But just listen along. In the sight of their fathers, God performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields and so on. He divided the sea and let them pass through it and made the waters stand like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. God made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Exodus was the primary story for Israel. How God delivered them from evil and oppression and slavery and bondage. How God took them through the sea and how God defeated their enemies. They would look to and look to the exodus the same way that you look to the cross and Jesus. That's where God saved me. That's where God saved us. That's where God dealt with our brokenness and God set us free. And that's an important part of telling the better story, that there is a thing called evil that there is a thing called evil empires and there are things called slavery and there are dictators and there are things that want to keep us bound and chained. I was talking with a, a family member in our church recently and their father just passed away from cancer. And I'm talking to her the following day and she started out real well on the phone then all of a sudden you can just hear how the change in her story overwhelmed her. And she said, Pastor Paul, I hate it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I hate it too. There is brokenness and disease in the world. I reminded her. She didn't need me to say that part. But I said, hey, that's why Jesus came. Not to remove that pain, but to say, hey, I'm going to sit with you as we go through this together. The solution is God. He rescues. He's the hero, not the sidekick. I'm not the hero. Part of a better story is that God rescues from evil. Something else a better story tells us is that God provides all our needs. God provides all our needs. Let's write that one down together. God provides all our needs. Again, let me read to you from this story. And if you want to follow along, this is verses 24 through 29. Or just just listen along. God rained down on them manna to eat and gave them grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens. And by his power, he led out the south wind. He rained meat on them like dust winged birds like the sand of the seas, and he let them fall in the midst of their camp, all around their dwelling. And Israel ate and was filled, for God gave them what they craved. Israel's wandering through the desert. can't find food in the desert. God provides daily bread for them. They asked for meat. God provides meat that literally flew into their camp. Wouldn't you like that if Big Macs just flew into the kitchen? <laughs> Chicken Alfredo from Olive Garden just flies in. God, we're hungry. That's awesome. You got DoorDash. We have Divine Dash. City barbecue. Hey, God, I need some rips. Yeah, that'd be awesome. God provided for them. Now, this is so important for today. It's regrounding ourselves in the truth that God provides, God provides everything. Our kids need to know that God provides. We live in what we would call a very Epicurean culture. Okay, Epicurean philosophy is something that was very prevalent back in the time of Jesus. Meaning what? Um, pleasure is the goal. We want to feel good. Okay? The answer is within yourself. Look to yourself. You are the source of peace and tranquility. You are the key. Keep God out of it. You do you. Just look within yourself. You provide your own peace. They believe that sex was great, but let's not get hung up on marriage. It's not necessary to deal with marriage. Sex is fine. Keep the gods away from it. Peace of mind and your value zip here. Sitting at the dinner table last night celebrating good grades with our kids, we pray over the meal, and I anchor the kids in our prayer, in our discussion time. Isn't it awesome what you guys have been able to do? I'm proud of you. I am also so thankful for what God has given you to help you get the grades that you have. God provides. God provides. I didn't do it. You didn't do it. It's what God has done for me. That's why Jesus taught them to pray, give us today our daily bread. Better story always anchors in that God provides. Another thing that a better story reminds us and teaches and tells is that God gives instructions to follow. God does give instructions to follow. Write that one down. I've already read it to you, but this is in verse 7 and verse 8, that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers who are stubborn and rebellious. It's not story time for the sake of story time. Hey, I want to hear a happy story. Tell me a good bedtime story about Jesus. I like the one where he healed the blind guy. That one makes me feel warm and fuzzy all over. I like those stories. This is a wisdom poem. It's It brings attention to God's narrative and how we are to walk with him. The poet spends most of his time in the remainder of this poem talking about what happens when you don't follow God's instructions. He tells the stories of failure and disobedience and and the ensuing consequences and if you were just to keep reading in the poem, he'd start talking about the Ephraimites who, who weren't faithful to trusting their relationship with God. And as a result, God was not going to bring a king from their tribe. God brought a king from another tribe. Anyone able to say here that through consequences in your own life you've missed out on things? Through bad choices, and you just own it? it says, yeah, that's, that's my mess. And I missed out on some things that I'm sure that God wanted me to experience. But that one was on me. Because better stories remind us that, hey, there are instructions to follow. Let me read a few other verses for you. This is, just listen along. This is uh, 56 through 57 and 60 through 62. They tested and rebelled against the most high God. They didn't keep his testimonies. They turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow getting off target. Verse 60, he forsook, and he forsook his dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where God dwelt among mankind and he delivered his power to captivity, God's glory to the hand of the foe and he gave his people over to the sword and vented his wrath on his heritage. Meaning Israel became overrun by their own evil and it surrounded them and it destroyed them. God didn't swoop in the evil dictator and say, oh, I'm so mad at you now. He let them walk down the path of disobedience. And because sin brings brokenness and death, they became overwhelmed by the consequences of their own choices. Whether it was a nation from the south that conquered or a nation from the north that led them astray or the death that comes about through idolatry. God said, fine. They forgot God's instructions and the sin that brings brokenness and death. God's story always includes instructions, how to walk in light of who God is. A fourth thing that better stories tell us, that God loves us no matter what. God loves us no matter what. In the middle of this poem, the poet says this. Their heart was not steadfast. This is verse 37. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all of his wrath. He remembered that they were at flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness. They grieved him in the desert. God was compassionate. In the midst of disobedience, in the midst of forgetting him, and forgetting the story, God still loved them no matter what. This is key. The poet says that God is one of compassion. He rescues, he provides, he leads us, and when we leave the story for a lesser story, he still loves us no matter what our children need to know that they will they will step off the path and they might step off the path for a long time but they need to see parents and grandparents that tell the better story god loves us no matter what this is what's important okay you look at those four principles of better stories god is good god is providing God is loving, but God gives instructions to follow. There must be alignment. Brighter futures hang on better stories, living and telling better stories. Yes, God is good. Yes, God is loving. Yes, God is providing. Yes, God tells us how to live our lives. There must be alignment between those two and it's attention. This is who God is and we live in accordance to those facts. He's the hero. So let's get behind the hero who wins the day. If our practice of parenting is only passing on the command part and parents, you've gone through that phase, right? Do it because that's what I told you to do right? Or, well, God said that's wrong. Yeah, you're just walking them towards legalism, and they're just going to gonna leave eventually, because all you've shown them in the story is that God's just about giving rules. That's it. And I don't like those rules, so I'm going to go do something where I like the rules. I don't like your rules, so I'm going to go with those rules, Okay. If our practice as parenting is only passing on the feel-goods, hey, I want, I want to be their friend. I, I want to be their friend. It's not your job to be your kid's friend. Please don't be their friend. They need you to be the parent. If all you do is pass on the feel-goods, then when life really destroys them, they're going to be real confused. Because I thought God was love, and I thought God was good, and I thought God was caring. Yep, that's true. Well, then, why wouldn't I do whatever I want? Bad things happen. They need to see within us this alignment between God is good, and so I'm going to follow God. God is providing, so I'm going to follow God. God is loving, so I'm going to follow God. There must be alignment. Our life is what gives legitimacy to God's story. The story doesn't matter if the witness is a bad witness the jury won't believe it. Here's the hard part, okay? If kids are rebelling against you, it may just be because they're not buying your story. If kids are rebelling against you, it very well may be that they're just not buying your story. Dad, you say this, but I see you living that. Mom, you tell me this, but then you go and do that. You say follow God who takes care of us, but why are you always grumpy and worried about the finances? This is why brighter futures require telling and living better stories. They want a better story they want a story worth believing in great stories have crisis of evil and they present the hero and how to live within the victory that is the hero they need to know who's going to rescue me who's going to take care of me who's going to love me no matter what and how do i experience and walk in those things they want that Our kids are desperate for a better story. The current crisis within our culture is that there's a library of different gospels that they can be told and believe in. Like you're pulling up the Netflix homepage. You can watch that story and you can watch that story and you can watch that story. You can be told that truth and that truth and that truth and that truth. The apostle Paul, when he was writing to his churches, he'd often say, why are you believing another gospel? Meaning, why are you believing another answer on what brings rescue and provision and love and care? Why are you, why are you doing, why are you giving in to a lesser story? Neat thing about other stories is that in the beginning everything seems great. Everything feels good. Because it's a it's a fun story and it makes me feel good and it validates. But Eventually in the story, it turns real bad, real quick. It reminds me, I was watching, this was a long time ago. I watched a movie. It was about this, this castle that was under attack. The sieging army had come up with these funky looking catapults. I'm like, what, what's that? It's, not, it's a catapult with a little bit of extra thing on it. It's a catapult that has a sling. I'm like, well, that's a trebuchet. I'm like, what's a trebuchet? This is legit. This is awesome. They're hauling these giant boulders. And, and this, this catapult arm would go and the sling would whip around and the thing would fly and it would fly. And I'm like, dude, I want to build one of these. I have no building skills. This would be awesome. I'll launch tennis balls. And then my brother's like, you know, there's a competition where they build them and launch pumpkins? I'm like, no. I'll launch a pumpkin. I want to launch a big pumpkin and so my brother would send this you know pumpkin chunkin you know uh, up in upstate new york where these guys and i'm sure there were some women but not as many <laughs> Guys who would build these giant catapults and trebuchets and cannons to launch these pumpkins. Like this is awesome. So I start designing. I got software to help me build them, and I, I build trebuchets. I build one for my brother for Christmas, just launching tennis balls. And la- I couldn't launch a pumpkin. We, there was a pumpkin patch near our house, and out and th- there was a trebuchet there. The guy who owned the pumpkin patch had sons who went to RIT and they built a giant trebuchet that you needed a tractor to load. And then hook up and launch. Like, oh, this is awesome. Crazy thing. No matter how powerful the trebuchet is, no matter how high the pumpkin would get thrown, Eventually, it would run out of energy, and the forces of the world would pull it down, and it would splatter. No matter how far it got launched in the beginning, eventually, the forces of the world would always win. And it never ended well for the pumpkin. And that's kind of what it's like when we start to follow another gospel. A lesser good news. In the beginning, there's lots of excitement, and we're like so happy to be us and do our thing and believe and follow these heroes that are lesser heroes, and we are soaring, and this is awesome. But you see, we lack the internal ability to maintain that. And the forces of the world bring us down, and it's hard. How many of you have experienced that? I followed a lesser gospel. That's why the psalmist says in verse 7, he says, they should set their hope in God. I want to live my story in such a way that my sons see in me, wow, no matter what would happen, Dad always set his hope in God. That God rescues. That God provides. That God instructs. That God loves dad no matter what. I want to follow that story. Because ultimately, my sons need to decide too for themselves. They're going to move to this place in their own life culturally somewhere around year 17 year 18 where they pick up the own pen their own pen and decide this is the direction I'm going to go. John was a spiritual leader uh, in, in the early church, and he was writing to one of his spiritual children. This is in uh, 3 John, verses 2 through 3. Just listen to his words. This is a father speaking words of, of excitement and compassion to his son. He says, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truths as indeed you are walking in the truth. That's like, you're following Jesus. And that, I'm so excited to hear that. So what? Here's a key question for you, parents, grandparents, everybody who would help the next generation raise up. If what they want is a better story, a better story to believe in, then we need to ask ourselves, in your notes, write this down. What is the story that we are currently living What's the story that I'm living? What's the story that Lucas and Aiden and Jackson see me living? What's the story? Is it that dad, dad provides? Is it that, you know, or is it that God provides? Is it that, is it that dad rescues or alcohol rescues or sex rescues or, or French? Is it, is it those things rescue me? Or is it that God rescues? Is it that there are no consequences for choices or that there are consequences? What is the story that I'm living and that other people are reading. They need to see my life empowered and energized by obedience to God's story. Hear it, see it, good, bad, and the ugly. It's a question to wrestle with. Here's another key idea, just a suggestion for you. Get in the habit of mining your life for better stories and then sharing them with the next generation. This is going to take some effort and some work on your part, but start asking yourself, where in my life have I seen God rescue Share that. Where in my life have I seen God provide? Share that. It's okay, Cordelia. I'm finishing up. I'll get there, baby. I'll get there. Where in my life have I seen God do these things? Share that. Journal it. So that when you need time to reference back to God, you have something to tell. When you're around the dinner table, hey, can I tell you what God did when I was 16 and saved my butt because I thought I was driving the General Lee, but really it was just a bicycle and the hill was a whole lot bigger than I thought it was? yeah yeah get in the habit of mining your life for those better story points with god and here's another key habit learn how to anchor their story in the better story when you have and you see opportunities hey you know what god rescues i know it's jacked up right now god rescues Hey, I know we don't know how things are going to happen moving forward. God provides. Can I tell you a time in my life when God provided? Hey, God says this is how we're going to do this moving forward. This is what God said, this is, this, and we're going to obey him. Hey, I know we really screwed up. God loves us no matter what. Get in the habit of anchoring your children and your grandchildren, the great-grandchildren, in those story points of a better story. Next week, we're going to get real practical in how to do that, how to leverage life moments and time milestones to connect them back to the better story. Okay, so we'll get real practical next week in how we do that. Because one of the things that Israel kept doing was forgetting God's story. He said, hey, they forgot. They forgot. They didn't remember. So we're going to kind of get some practical tips on how to do that. One of the stories that my dad gave me and read to me growing up was if I ran the zoo. This is Dr. Seuss. I don't know if it was prophetic on my dad's part or not, um, but it's, it's, I've come to chuckle every time I look over on my bookshelf and I read this, if I ran the zoo. And I'm like, oh, if only if. If only if. Uh, and it's just about the, He started. it's a pretty good zoo, said young Gerald McGrew, and the fellow who runs it seems proud of it too. And he goes on, but if I ran the zoo, the things that he would do. And oh, such a great story. Parents, does it feel like sometimes you're running a zoo? Oh, she's good. No. <laughs> Does it feel like sometimes we're we we're, we're running a cir- we're part of a circus? Does it feel like, and things are like, like the big top, like a crazy zoo, and you're just trying to keep things in the cage, and feed it without getting bit, right? <laughs> Parents, is that what it feels like sometimes? Like I'm 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 caught up in a zoo. That's okay. That's okay. It's awesome. I love it. Here here's a here's a prayer that I'd like to read over you and to you about someone who felt the same way. And maybe, parents, these would be some words that encourage you. I'm praying for you as we get through this together, this great thing called parenting. This is what the the poet says. Oh, God of children and clowns, as well as martyrs and bishops, somehow you always seem to tumble a gesture or two of light through the cracks of my proud defense into the shadows of my sober piety. Grant me now an enchantment of heart that for a moment the calliope of your kingdom may entice my spirit, laughing out of my sulky self-preoccupations into childlike delight in the sounds and silences that hum of grace so that I may learn again that life is never quite as serious as I suppose, yet more precious than I dare take for granted, even for a moment. That I may be released into the possibilities of the immediate and rush, smudge-souled as I am, to join the parade of the undamned fools who see the ridiculous in the sublime and the sublime in the ridiculous. Can you do that, parents? Can you learn to see the the ridiculous and the sublime things and the sublime things and the ridiculous. To dare take pratfalls for love, to walk tightropes for justice, to tame lions for peace, to rejoice to travel light, knowing there is little I have or need except my brothers and sisters to love, you to trust, and your stars to follow home. Jesus said there are two ways to build your life. A wise man builds his life on God's instructions, like a house on a strong foundation. For more teaching from this ministry, go to whoishouseontherock.com. If you don't have a church, please consider being our guest on a Sunday morning. Again, visit whoishouseontherock.com for more information.